Mm-hmm. Well, I'm preaching about rest this morning, and after that song, I feel like I just want to take a nap. And so, if your soul needs to be still and you need to take a nap during the sermon, you have my permission. <clears throat> but I'm not going to promise to wake you up at the end. Isn't it good that we can just come together and seek God's face? when we need rest. In this series, we're going to be looking at rest, what rest is, why rest is important, and how we rest in different areas or different dimensions of our lives. Specifically this morning, we're looking at rest uh, in an introductory way as connection, as shalom or peace, and as Sabbath. And so without uh, further ado, I want to get into it. We'll read together God's word from the Gospel of John. Chapter 14, verses 22 through 27. This is toward the end of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus is teaching his disciples. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, asked him, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while I'm still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, the Spirit will guide, will teach you all of these things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. So far, the reading of God's Word. So what is rest? What is this peace that Jesus talks about, that he gives his disciples and leaves with them and with us? As I said, rest at its simplest is about three words, connection, shalom, or peace, and Sabbath. The Bible uses the word shalom or peace, to talk about a proper kind of connection among people and between people and God. Jesus says in a text we just read, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I don't give as the world gives. The kind of peace that the world offers is always at best an absence of conflict. And an absence of conflict never lasts. As long as sin remains in us and in our world, we will continue to see conflict. But Jesus offers a better way. Jesus gives peace that's not based on human effort or on human character. Jesus' peace is based on God's action and on God's character. From the beginning, God creates man and woman in his image and in his likeness. To be like him and to be in relationship with him. God walks and talks with a man and woman in the garden. God's perfect rest is about connection with them from the beginning. Adam with Eve and both of them with God. Likewise, Jesus' summary of the law in Matthew 22 includes instruction to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. These instructions are about the proper connection with God, proper connection with others in the family of God and with neighbors outside of the family of God. 
It's sadly ironic that in our digital age, people talk so much about connectivity, but that actually our technology so often delivers more isolation and exhaustion. The good news, by contrast, including in this morning's text, always begins with an instruction to obey, to sacrifice, to give something up. But then the good news actually delivers shalom, peace. Shalom is the Bible's word for universal flourishing. It's everyone and everything in right relationship with everyone and everything else. It's the ultimate kind of connection and connectivity. See, each of us as individuals has different role and purpose given to us by God. Different tasks, different abilities, different limits. My limits are different from yours. Your gifts are different from mine. And within the people, or, or as people that God has created, and with the, within the purposes he has for us, God has given us responsibilities and also relationships. Another way to think about rest is that rest is entrusting our responsibilities to God so that we can tend and focus on our relationships, on that connection. This is the heart of Sabbath, which is that last piece of rest. It's giving up our responsibilities that we have in order to focus on our relationships, on our connection. Jesus says in Mark chapter 2 that the Sabbath was made for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Referencing Jesus' words, author Andy Crouch writes that Jesus asserts his lordship over this very good gift of God to his image bearers. He, Crouch continues with that quote that's on the screen behind me. He says, there's perhaps no single thing that could help that could better help us recover Jesus' lordship in our frantic, power-hungry world than to allow him to be the lord of our rest as well as of our work. The challenge is disarmingly simple. One day a week, not to do anything that we know to be work. And then he continues by saying, and the moment we define it that way, the objections begin. But in other words, Sabbath is about not just knowing our limits, but about embracing our limits so that we can focus on our relationships. Letting Jesus be Lord of the Sabbath, embracing rest, is not some cheap way to solve all of our problems. Uh, it's not some quick fix method, something we just quick say on a Sunday morning and then move on. It's a method of personal transformation that will affect every area of your life that will bring you hope and healing and comfort. Rest, about as, rest as connection, as peace for all, and rest as Sabbath, embracing our limits, is a new way of living, especially for those of us who live in, uh, who, uh, for all of us who live in a Western individualistic culture that's so uh, driven by more and more more work, more tasks, more to achieve, more to do all the time. As humans, we, it is good for us to face our physical and mental limits on a daily basis. Even as we acknowledge, we, it's good for us to acknowledge the physical and mental fatigue that we experience. We are not God. 
We are not lowercase g gods. We do have limits as people. We hurt ourselves and we hurt other people when we don't accept our limits, when we, tr- when we don't recognize them and try to push past them. So why don't we rest? Well, one of the reasons we don't rest is because we have a kind of a screwy definition of rest. Rest is not first about running away and exploring all other corners of the world. I've mentioned before that we are people who, when we do this kind of vacationing, when we're running, away, running around somewhere else instead of at home, when we finally do get home, then we say to ourselves, oh, I need a vacation. Right? We say that because the rest that we were supposed to have wasn't restful. Rest is not the same as busyness in some other place. Rest is not running away from our daily lives and hiding. Both of those attitudes are examples actually of what? Not of connection, but of disconnection. Disconnecting from our lives, disconnecting from God, disconnecting from other people whom we love and care about. Take, for example, if you as a family or if you as an individual do devotions on a regular basis. When you go on vacation, do the devotions continue? I'm guessing not. It's just one example of why when we come home from breaks, we so quickly find ourselves in exactly, exactly as stressed and as busy as we were before. What we call rest is not true rest. At its core... Our inability to rest is really a problem of pride. We don't trust someone else to be in charge. And so we slave on and put in overtime at our work. Even when we hate it, even when we're exhausted, even after we become bitter, it's still hard for us to trust somebody else. We don't trust others and so we disconnect or distance ourselves from them. We don't trust God and so we dishonor him or ignore him. We don't even trust ourselves, so we work harder. We struggle to get to the end of the week. We struggle to say, okay, that's enough for now. That's hard for us. We work overtime. We worry about our jobs. We take our computers into the bedroom. It doesn't have to be this way. A few years back, when Kaylee and I were in Denmark, I was chatting with the uh, the family that we were staying, or there's a family we were staying with, and I was chatting with uh, Martin, who was our host. It was a weekday afternoon, and we were on vacation, and he was home. And so I asked him about his job, and uh, he told me he worked at a bank, which I knew. And I said, "How is it that it's you know two or three o'clock in the afternoon, and you're you work at a bank in your home?" Well, at first, he didn't understand the question. But then he explained. He said, well, Danish people work about 32 to 36 hours a week. That's full time. So who wants to move to Denmark? Um, but in that time, he said that employers expect that their employees will get all their work done. And so if you work overtime, we think you must be slow at your job because you couldn't get it all done in the regular hours that are given to you. Businesses in Denmark, he said, know that there's more to life than work. My point in telling that story is not that we all need to go live in some other country. It's that people with different experiences can remind us that it's okay and even healthy 
to rest. They help, they can, people with different experiences from us can help us to see ourselves and our strengths, but also our weaknesses and shortcomings. To the point of this sermon, that guy, Martin, from Denmark, helped me to see that it's good to take a break from our work, both daily and weekly, and to do so as an act of trust in God for the purpose of working on relationship connections with people we care about, with family and friends, for health, for ourselves, but even and especially perhaps for a deeper relationship with God. So I want to end this sermon by, with a few points, talking about why rest is important. Because it's important for many reasons, but that three I want to focus on this morning. First of all, rest reminds us who's in charge. That God is in charge, not us. As I said, it's healthy to rest as an act of trust in God. In rest, we're able to push back against the personal temptation to be in charge of everything in our own lives. In rest, we're able to learn, to to practice the discipline of trusting God. Imagine if one day each week, you actually did nothing that you knew to be work. What would you do? What would you fill your time with? When we do such a thing, we remind ourselves that limits are actually healthy and good. And that sometimes we are uncomfortable with healthy and good limits. We remind ourselves in rest that we don't need more hours in the day or more days in the week. Instead, that God has given us enough. And likewise, when we rest, we remind ourselves that God is in control. That when we stop working, when we reach the end of our limits or abilities, God is still in charge. God is still working. God is still uh, in control. God is not limited as we are. Secondly, rest refocuses our hearts on the things that are most important. When we fail to rest, we quickly lose focus on our priorities. Even small things begin to overwhelm us and the big things seem totally unattainable. We think that we can do it all and so we try and do it all, but we end up doing more than we should and doing most of it poorly. Rest as Sabbath, as taking a break from those things we know to be work, gives us the time and space to reflect on what and who is most important in our lives. When we have time to reflect and take a break from our creative and our productive efforts, well, then we not only give space for other people to step in to the gap that we've created, we also create space in our own hearts to remember our priorities, our goals. Have you noticed that you find it easier after a time of rest to make wise decisions, to say no to distraction or temptation, to prioritize who's most important or what's most important in your life? This is because Sabbath prepares our hearts for deeper connection when we return to the periods of production. All of this is why the rest and the peace that Jesus leaves with his disciples is a gift for his disciples, not just for the world. Because the kind of rest that we need is the self-revelation of Jesus Christ. That only when we love Jesus, as he says, will we do what he instructs us to do. If we don't love him, 
We'll be busy doing other things. Hopefully, you've been getting the sense in this sermon of the regular need for rhythms of rest. Going from times of production and creativity and work into times of rest and connection, focusing on relationships. Swinging back and forth like a pendulum. Because of the effects effects of sin in our world, some of us look first to our work for fulfillment, while others of us look only to our relationships for fulfillment. This is nothing new. We see this already in the Garden of Eden when, when the curse comes or when sin comes to Adam and Eve. To Eve, God says, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. In other words, you'll, you'll look for fulfillment only in that one relationship. But it's not going to happen. And to Adam, God says, through painful toil, you will find, you will eat food from the ground all the days of your life. Look for, for meaning and for rest in your work, but you won't find it. You see, it's not just the rhythm of rest and, and of production and rest, of starting and stopping. It's doing it in connection with Jesus, receiving the peace that comes from Jesus. That really changes us and transforms us, not as people in general, but as God's people. People loved by God, belonging to Christ and part of the family of God. The unfulfilled longings that all of us have, the exhaustion and isolation that is a regular part of our lives, all of these things are a result of the fall. But the rest and the peace that Jesus holds out points us forward toward the shape of things to come, which is the third reason rest is so important. It points us toward the shape of things to come. So speaking of things to come, as we close this morning, I want to just invite you or or wonder with you for a moment, if you ever stop and imagine what the world will be like in 10 years, or maybe what the church will be like in 10 years. Somebody with a creative mind like me really enjoys those kinds of imaginative exercises. What will society look like 10 years from now, given what we know today? And as my heart and works, life's work is here in the church, I wonder the same thing about the church. So here's my take on our world in 30 seconds. Technology in the next 10 years will become more, uh, more and a bigger part of our lives. We'll continue to pressure younger people to train for more and more specialized jobs. We'll buy yet bigger houses and more expensive vehicles. Personal debt will grow, as will societal disconnection. We will become busier and busier managing our own lives. We'll have less and less time for community pursuits. If that sounds like a bleak forecast... I'd like to hear your thoughts. Think about it. Why do you think it would be different? Or perhaps you think it would be the same. The question of what will the future look like is a really important one for Christians. Because the Bible paints a picture for us of what the future will, like in the, will look like in the end of all things. The eternity that God has for us is a life of rest. A life of connection, a a life of direct and intimate relationship with God uh, as humans. It's a place of universal flourishing where every person and even every animal 
gets along. It's a place where Sabbath rest continues, where God's power and glory fills all of life. The Bible tells us enough about the future that's waiting for us that we can know what our, what our final or, or what, our, what our eventual future looks like. But the role of the church is to usher God's kingdom into our world now. And so if we know what the shape of things to come is in, in God's kingdom in the future, and we know how our world is, and we have a sense of how our world is progressing, then we know what it looks like for us as Christians to stand in the gap. In terms of the life of the church, here's where I think we're heading. We're heading in two very different ways. Like anything else, some people will find that they can get content anywhere. That they can find a better preacher than me online. They can find even better singers than our singers online. They can hear news from their own perspective, in their own languages. They can find any group that will give them all the good feels, something called confirmation bias. Whoever they are, they can find a group that will never challenge them, always encourage them, always give them something, and will gather them together from all over the world. And so Christians who follow that path will also continue to live lives of busyness. Kids' activities, personal travel, consumption of all kinds. In other words, it will be, as it always has been, very tempting for Christians to follow the ways of our world. But remember for a moment Jesus' vision for his church. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember River Park's vision to reaching out, drawing in, creating mosaic community. The future of our church and others in the global West will be people gathered together by strong relational bonds. Ten years from now, I think River Park will be collections of spiritual families. People who are far away from their biological family for any number of reasons. But bound together by common love and common mission. Love for God, love for neighbor as self. Mission to our neighbors and friends and family to share God's love. Not just in word, though certainly in word, but also in experience. See, not all of us who are far from our families are just geographically far. Some of us, as we said in the prayer this morning, are relationally far too. Our family might live across town on the other side of the province or, or just a few, a few hours away. But they're distant. And the church, we, we will need the church to be bound together as a new spiritual family. We will learn, I think, in the next decade, as River Park Church and as the church in the West, that a good preacher and a pastor is not just the one with the most engaging content, but one who knows and cares for your situation. And that a good preacher and pastor isn't just the person who stands up front, but it's the people that God has given us to live our lives with, to act as spiritual mothers and fathers or older brothers and sisters to, to pastor us 
to shepherd us and guide us along life's way. We'll learn that the best church community is one that is not busy doing all kinds of programs, but one where people are known and loved. The right kind of doing and busyness is going to flow out of the right kind of love. See, we already know this in our, in our biological families. We already know uh, from, from children, from the age of a child growing up, that there are other parents out there, aren't there? And it almost always looks like somebody else has better parents than I do. But other people's parents don't love you. They have their own responsibilities. And our view from the, from, of, of others is often a view from the outside. It's just the surface level. See, we're, if we're a family, if we're journeying together on the same path, then we're one. We're not one in agreement. We don't see every last topic or issue uh, with the same eyes. We're one in position. We're in the same boat. We are the ones whom Jesus has shown himself to. We are the ones whom Jesus has given his spirit to. And because we are the ones who have such different talents and gifts and abilities, different limits, then we see and serve God in all kinds of different ways. We cover over one another's weaknesses. We celebrate one another's strengths. There will always be the temptation in every area of our lives to look elsewhere. To say, oh, that church has a better program or more programs. Oh, life will be easier and the grass is greener over there. It's always easy in our individualistic culture to find options that seem to be for our personal benefit from an external view. But as we consider the future of, that God has for our church and for his church, from his perspective, then I think we will gain gratitude, joy, rest, and peace. We'll see deepening of commitment to one another, a widening of our love. So brothers and sisters, won't you come and rest for a while? Won't you come and stay a while? None of you have fallen asleep somehow. But wouldn't it be good? To be together in such a way as a family, as only a family can be, that we can rest so much in one another's presence that we could even fall asleep and still know that we're loved. This is the future that God has for us. So as we close, I invite you to continue to wonder about that future. Last week, uh, in the in the introduction to this series, I shared a video, and I said I was going to give you homework if you wanted it throughout this series. And so this is your homework for this week if you choose to take it. Spend some time imagining in 10 years, what do you think our world is going to look like? What do you think and hope that the church, that God's church will look like? And what will your place be within it? Let's come to God in prayer. Father God, we come to you because in our work, you are more powerful, more skilled, you are wiser, 
and stronger than we are. And in our rest, Lord, when we see our limits, when we bump up against them, when we clearly acknowledge our need for others to help us, or that we've just come to the end of our rope, God, still you are there. Still you are powerful. Still you are leading our world, leading our church. So God, we look to you to continue to lead in our hearts as well. Lead us as River Park Church. Lead us as individuals. And as we think and pray and wonder this week, I pray that you would give us dreams, perhaps dreams at night, but also waking dreams, that we would see the future of our world in all its good and also its evil. That we would see the future for your church that you have planned. And God, give us also a vision as individuals and as a church of how we might serve your purpose, how we might uh, fit into your plan, and how we might find rest, find connection, find peace, and find a break from the toils and worries of this world. God, we pray that you continue to lead and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we go, we're going to sing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. We're going to sing a song of praise to God before we go. All right, but, but, but as we do that, before we do that, excuse me, I want to invite you to stand. And I'm going to offer you God's blessing uh, and his presence with you. So as you go into this week, as you wonder about the future, maybe it's not 10 years away. Maybe it's just a few weeks away or a year away or a day away. As you wonder, as you work, as you rest, God goes with you. So receive his blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the power and presence of his Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you. And all God's people say, amen.